we have lots of good news this morning, and uh, you won't get it uh, if you turn the television on. Uh, the last few days I've been fielding all sorts of questions on social media from people all over the place. I don't even know where they are or who they are or where they live. Um, concerned about the events that we see unfolding in front of us. And uh, I want to tell you, if you turn to the book of Revelation chapter 5, you'll find out that Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father as a result of his death and resurrection. And since that moment, he has been ruling over the entire universe. Amen. And that is the good news. You know, dictators, they come and go. But they have been coming and going since whenever. But Jesus remains. And not only that, but Jesus Christ is controlling the course of all history. This world is not in the hands of the devil. We know that the devil is active. We know that he's doing things, using people in wicked ways. But what the book of Revelation teaches us is that even the plans of the devil are being used by God for a greater purpose. Just like we were reminded in that um, prophetic exhortation a few moments ago uh, in the life of Joseph, that even though it looked dark, that God was orchestrating the events that wicked people had put together for a greater good. And so it is today. So we have lots of reason as Christians to be encouraged. We need to pray for um, our uh, fellow believers in the nation of Ukraine uh, who are taking courageous stands for Christ in these days. Uh, but Jesus is in charge, and that's our confidence. Now, last week and this week, um, I've been, or last week, I started talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, and I want to finish that this week, but I want to give a little bit of a recap because I know I threw a lot of information at you. Um, and so we started with the idea that the Holy Spirit has been active ever since the creation of the universe. He was hovering over the face of the waters. God was fashioning uh, all of creation into being through the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, some people think the Holy Spirit never showed up until the day of Pentecost. That's not true. The Holy Spirit was active in the new creation. And as we took a, a tour of the Old Testament, particularly the prophet Ezekiel, as well as, as, well as the prophet Isaiah, they paint a picture of a future that's coming from the perspective of those prophets where God is going to do a new act of creation. So the original creation, God in, uh, created a perfect garden and gave us the opportunity of living uh, in peace with him and extending the boundaries of the garden to the ends of the earth. Because we made a wrong choice, we ruined God's plan. Or at least it seemed to be that God's plan was ruined. But God is a God of restoration. And I want to say that again to any of you this morning that are sitting in here with a devastation in your life or bad news in your life or a circumstance that you don't know how you're going to get through it. God has a plan for restoration in your life this morning. If God has a plan to restore the entire universe, surely to goodness, he's able to restore your little old life. So don't lose hope. And uh, so God, through the prophets, especially Ezekiel and Isaiah, talks about a day when the Holy Spirit is going to do a powerful work. And in that day, it's like God is going to begin to recreate the Garden of Eden. If you don't believe me, it's right there in the scriptures that I gave out to you last week. And it, it, it says just that. And so... Um, the prophets, of course, they didn't know exactly what was coming, but Ezekiel had this vision of, you know, dry bones. That was God's people. They were dead as a dodo. And then God comes along and puts the bones together. And then the last thing God does in the vision is he breathes new life into them so that they are born again, born anew. And uh, 
God showed Ezekiel that a day was coming. Of course, the breath of life is the Holy Spirit because the Adam was created the same way. He was put together, and then God breathed life into him. And Ezekiel says, now another, you've ranked the first creation, but I'm going to do it all over again, and this time it's going to work. And I'm going to send my spirit and breathe life into these dead bones, and uh, something amazing is coming. And uh, that's what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3, when he said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, I, what are you talking about, Jesus? You, you can't go back into your mother's womb and come back out again. And Jesus says, you are a great teacher of Israel. Why don't you get it? And the reason he should have got it was because he should have known this prophecy of Ezekiel that talked about people being born again by the Spirit of God. And Jesus said, it, it, it's right here. Um, because the reason that... Um, that Jesus is, the, is, is proclaiming this day of new creation is because the prophets had said that whenever the Messiah came, that's when the Holy Spirit would return. And the Holy Spirit would rest upon the Messiah. And the sign of the coming of the Holy Spirit would be fire and light. Now, the last part of what I said last week was that following the death of the last prophets of the Old Testament, Malachi and Zechariah and... and uh, and somebody whose name's gone out of my mind right now. It's terrible anyway. Put it down to old age. Um, and so, uh, right at the end of the Old Testament era, there was a 400-year period of silence. And the Jewish people believed that it was because of the sin of the nation that God had withdrawn His Spirit. His Spirit was there up until the last prophets. They they understood that um, God was uh, moving in, the, uh, in, in numerous ways by His Spirit in the, whole days of, uh, in the whole of the Old Testament days. But when Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi had uh, died and there was no more prophetic revelation, a sort of a silence descended and the, and the Holy Spirit was gone. But... They believed the Jewish theologians, the people like Nicodemus. This is why Jesus was so impatient with them. They had been taught that the Holy Spirit would come back and that the Messiah would come and that a miraculous manifestation of fire and light would accompany the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is exactly, of course, what happened on the day of Pentecost. And so... Uh, so, this brings us up to the time of the birth of Jesus. So, last week I talked about the presence of the Holy Spirit in creation and how God was promising to begin a new creation and the Holy Spirit who had been withdrawn would return. And so, we would expect that the Holy Spirit would be linked with the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so... The New Testament starts with these words in Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But in the Greek language, the words are biblos genesios, and the meaning is literally the book of, the, of Genesis, the book of Genesis of Jesus Christ. And the only two places in the Old Testament where that phrase occurs is in the second chapter of the book of Genesis where it says the book of the Genesis of the heavens and the earth and in chapter 5 of Genesis, the book of the Genesis of Adam. Now, why am I saying that? Why am I making this point? Three times in the Bible, the phrase the book of Genesis or the book of the Genesis is uh, Genesis meaning birth. It occurs only those three times. And what it's saying is that the birth of Jesus, this is the first words of the New Testament, the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, is the same as Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That even as there was an original creation, now there is a new creation. 
That's how powerful the New Testament presents the birth of Jesus. It's like Genesis happening all over again. And why it says that is because God had a plan for his creation, and he will fulfill that plan. It doesn't matter that we messed it up. God is not deterred. He hasn't given up. He's he's not out of the game. God still intends to fulfill his original plan. And so the only way of fulfilling his original plan is by starting the creation all over again. Now, it, it, it didn't look in those humble circumstances of a stable at Bethlehem as if the universe was being recreated, but actually it was. And that's how the Bible presents it. The creation of the heavens and earth was accompanied by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what we talked about last week. So, we would expect that the beginning of this new creation or restoration of creation, this new Genesis in the birth of Jesus, we would expect that the Holy Spirit would be present, just as he was at the beginning of creation. And it's no surprise that as soon as Matthew gives the genealogy of Jesus Christ, he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, the birth or the genesis of Jesus Christ is conceived by the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't be surprised by that because God fashioned the original creation by the Holy Spirit, and now he is fashioning this baby in the womb, even from conception, by the same Holy Spirit. In the same way the Holy Spirit was present at the original creation, the Holy Spirit is present at the beginning of the prophesied new creation. Now, why is this so significant? It's because Adam was given a commission with Eve to extend the boundaries of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. That's what it meant when it said, be fruitful and multiply. Elaine and I did our best to fulfill that, having eight eight children, but... Uh, Actually, it was something more profound than that. That the idea was that Adam and Eve and their descendants would take possession of everything outside the garden, which was barren, and push back the boundaries of the garden, push out the boundaries of the garden until it encompassed the whole of creation and the rule of God would be be perfectly uh, evident in the whole of creation. Now, we know that they failed in that, and actually got kicked out of the garden, and God removed his presence from earth, or pretty near removed his presence, and then he began to restore it. That's another story. I can't go into that this morning. But that commission, that commission given to Adam to be fruitful and multiply, that is restored or given over again in the 28th chapter of Matthew when Jesus says, Go into all nations, make disciples of all nations. Uh, And Jesus, when he said he would not return until the gospel of the kingdom came to all nations, that means people groups. And the gospel of the kingdom, by the way, has not gone yet to all people groups. So we can't, even though we must not set a date for the Lord's return, we've been warned not to by by. If Jesus says even the, the Son doesn't know, only the Father, uh, how would we know? But Jesus did set that marker in place. It is not until the gospel of the kingdom would be preached to all people groups that he would return. And that hasn't happened yet. There are four or 5,000 people groups, and they haven't all heard the gospel. Now, why did Jesus say that? It's because Jesus is going to succeed where Adam failed. Adam was given the commission to extend the rule of God over the entire earth. He failed, but Jesus won't fail. The gospel of the kingdom must go to every nation before the Lord returns to take full possession. Jesus is going to succeed 
in pushing out the boundaries of the garden. And we are the garden. You may not, you look around you this morning and say, well, it, it, I'm, it's, I'm really happy to be in church. It doesn't quite look like the Garden of Eden, but uh, it's better than what we had. And see, but believe it or not, the Bible describes the church as the beginning of the restoration of that perfect fellowship we had with the Father in the garden. The, the, the presence of God was there everywhere in the garden. The presence of God since the day of Pentecost has been present everywhere where his people meet. The, the Holy Spirit was contained, so to speak, within a cubicle that only one man could go once a year uh, in the Jewish uh, system. But now we are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I said, I think last week, we are one man, one woman, mobile tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. And what that means is the presence of God is spreading. The presence of God is wherever his people are. The presence of God is there in Ukraine today. It's there among Russian believers as far as that goes. It's there wherever the Holy Spirit is present and wherever there are people gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are extending the boundaries of the kingdom of God throughout this earth. We're not, we're not losers. We're not a small, little, holy, huddle, religious minority that is afraid of the big bad devil out there who's got the world under control. This world is ruled by Jesus Christ. And we are his servants. And we, we appreciate the fact that there is evil and wickedness and all the rest of it. But we must not allow the presence of that evil and wickedness to become the focus so that all we're doing is reacting against it. We need to move out of a position of authority and government and declare the rulership of God over this earth because when the Lord returns, um, he is, he, He's not returning because He's lost control and he's going to take his church out of the world and give the world over to the devil. That's not correct end times teaching. Jesus is returning to take possession of this world. Yeah. When it says we will be caught up in the clouds to meet him at his coming, it is a picture of the emperor coming to a city. The citizens go outside the walls of the city to meet the emperor and they're, they're not whisked away somewhere because the emperor's lost control. They accompany the emperor back into the city to declare his lordship over it. And he sits down and begins his judgment. So we are confident that Jesus Christ is ruling over all events of the world. And even the things where Satan has got his hand in, Jesus is orchestrating them for a greater good. Now, I've got way off topic. Lord, help me. <laughs> Let's go back to the Holy Spirit in the birth of Jesus. The beginning of the Gospel of Luke is taken up with the announcement <clears throat> of two significant births. One, John the Baptist, and two, Jesus. They're proclaimed by the angel Gabriel. And, uh, and, as, and the angel proclaims the uh, coming of the long-promised son of David, who is to be Messiah and deliverer of Israel. And uh, such, supernatural, such a supernatural sign, the appearance of an angel to announce two births, had not been seen since the days of the prophets. And so with this uh, picture of the angelic pronouncement, Luke lays in place for us the foundations of something very exciting which is about to happen. And then the story continues um, with uh, uh, as the story continues we have a number of individuals involved who upon whom the Holy Spirit comes. Now Remember the Jewish people believed that the Holy Spirit had been absent. He'd been gone for 400 years. Um, and nobody during that entire period of time of 400 years before the coming of Christ, nobody had been described or identified 
as being full of the Spirit, anointed of the Spirit, possessing the Spirit in any way whatsoever. The Holy Spirit was totally absent as far as the Jews were concerned. But right here in the first couple chapters of Luke's gospel, there are eight or possibly nine references to the Holy Spirit coming on people. That had not happened for 400 years. And all of a sudden, nine times the Holy Spirit is described as coming on people. And those people are John the Baptist, Elizabeth, Zechariah, Simeon, Mary, and Jesus himself. The Holy Spirit has returned. Elizabeth is de be described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to understand that to a Jewish people that believed that nobody had experienced or encountered the Holy Spirit for 400 years, to write that this woman, Elizabeth, was filled with the Holy Spirit was astounding. It's like, you know, we live in, in the year 2020, what year is it? 2022. Thank God it's not 2020. Anyway, it's 2022. It's like the, the last time the Holy Spirit showed up, at church was 1622, and all of a sudden, somebody gets filled with the Spirit. That's a remarkable event. See, that's what was happening. And then um, the Holy Spirit not only fills Elizabeth, but, she, but the Holy Spirit enables her to prophesy over Mary and the child in Mary's womb. So when the Spirit comes, so also does prophecy come. And then Zechariah is described with as filled with the Spirit. And he begins to prophesy. There hadn't been any prophets for 400 years. Now they're prophesying all over the place. Then Simeon shows up. It says the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he begins to prophesy. And he came, comes to the temple in the Spirit. And then he has a prophetic revelation, which reveals that Jesus is the Son of God. And he begins to prophesy. 400 years of no prophecy, 400 years of no Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, three individuals are portrayed as having the Spirit come upon them and prophesying. And then, then we come to John the Baptist. He's described as being filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke 1.15, even from his mother's womb. Now, the Old Testament knew of people that God knew from the womb. The Old Testament spoke about people who were empowered of the Spirit, but no one in the Old Testament had ever been described as having received the Spirit in the womb. This was the first time in history. It was extraordinary. And so the Holy Spirit is back. And then we come to the birth of Jesus, and Gabriel says to Mary that the baby that's born is going to be called the Son of God and receive the throne of David. And that status of sonship is conferred from conception. And the miraculous conception of the child, Jesus that is, is explained by the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. He's, re, he's replaying Genesis chapters 1 and 2 where the Holy Spirit was hovering over the earth, over the face of the waters, and beginning to bring creation. Except now it's Mary. The Holy Spirit is going to hover over her, and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. Something is going to happen that has not happened since the creation of the universe. That is the birth of the Son of God. It's the most significant supernatural act of the Holy Spirit since the creation of the world. So as the Spirit was the power at work in the first creation, which we wrecked, now the Spirit is the power at work in the second creation, which we're not going to wreck. And the beginning of this second creation is going to lead on, not only to the birth and ministry of Christ, but to his return and to his ascension to the right hand of the throne of God and his rule and the restoration of all things in the new Jerusalem. So God, God has a plan that he's put into motion. The Holy Spirit overshadows Mary, the verb is drawn from the cloud of the glory of God, the Shekinah, which overshadowed the tabernacle at, his, uh, at its dedication. So the overshadowing of the Spirit 
is the beginning of a new tabernacle. That's why Jesus said, you can destroy this temple, but I'll raise it up in three days. They thought he, thought he was talking about the building, which had taken 46 years to build. But he was saying, no, you have to understand, the temple is finished now. I'm the temple. I'm the new temple. Uh, we don't need that old thing anymore because you've got me. I am, Jesus was saying, I am the dwelling place of God on earth. And the amazing thing is that with the coming of the Holy Spirit, all of us are taken into this dwelling place of God on earth so that we are recreating the government and the garden and the dwelling place of God. All of us are drawn into this incredible adventure. The Jewish people thought of the Messiah as a great military conqueror. When they called him the son of David, of course, David was the great king. He was the, he was the greatest king they'd ever had. And, uh, and so the Jewish people looked at the scriptures and they said, well, Jesus is the son of David. And they made a wrong interpretation of that. Uh, and they thought, well, that means he's going to get rid of the Romans. He's going to come as a political or military conqueror. And of course, when that didn't happen, and he wound up dying on the cross instead, his disciples were very disappointed because they actually believed the same thing as the Jews did. They thought he would bring in a new government, and they would sit at his right hand and his left and receive earthly power. But Jesus, that was not his plan. And Jesus' plan Yes, was to bring in a kingdom, but his kingdom was not of this world. Pilate was in a panic because he th when he called Jesus into his presence, um, he, he, he said, Where, wh wh what's your plan here? He, he, he assumed that Jesus was planning an insurrection which would depose him and drive the Romans out. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. My kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate said, uh, you know, he's another hopeless idealist, and, uh, but harmless. But see, Pilate didn't have a clue. The Jews didn't have a clue. And what I'm here to say this morning is that sometimes we look for hope in the reestablishing of an earthly kingdom. Sometimes we put our hope in political figures who would bring about uh, improvement in our nation or our society or our government. And it's true that a good political leader is better than a bad political leader. But if we put our hope in political leaders and that's the only hope we have, we haven't got much hope. And we need to see beyond that as God's people. That's why the church has to be careful that it never becomes an instrument of a, a political movement or political party. Because we're greater than that. God has a greater plan. And we do have a kingdom. But this kingdom is not going to go out and conquer by force and power. Like the Russian dictator is trying to do. We have a kingdom that conquers by our serving. And our loving. And our laying down of our lives. That's why... That's why the gentleman in the Ukraine that knelt in front of the Russian tank, whether he was a Christian or not, I have no idea. But his gesture is actually more powerful than if he'd sort of shot a gun at the guy. Why is that? Why is that? That's resonated around the world. Just like the Chinese people that knelt down in front of the tanks in Beijing 30-odd years ago and lost their lives. Why is that more powerful than if they had just tried to fight back? It's because God built something into humanity the intention of God was for his kingdom to come through a man hanging on a cross and laying his life down. That's why when people behave like that, even if they're not Christians, their action is actually more powerful. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, how do we as Christians affect 
the community around us? Do we go out there and tell them they're a bunch of jerks and losers because they haven't got their life together or they don't believe the right things or whatever and try to, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, force them if we could to become Christians? No. We go out by serving. If they kick us in the face and throw dirt at us and say nasty things about us, well, what do you expect? They did that of Jesus, and Jesus said they'll treat you the same way. But if Jesus gained his victory on the cross, then why would we not also gain our victory on the cross? So when you're in your place of employment, you lay your life down. You don't hurl insults back when people hurl insults at you. You just love those people, even if they treat you badly. And when we live life that way in the community, even if people don't admit it, they take notice. They see it. They don't understand it. Why is it that those people are living opposite to the way the world lives? And yet they seem to have peace, more peace than I do. And that's how we win people to Christ. Because God is restoring his garden. He's restoring a kingdom, and it doesn't look like the rotten old kingdoms of this world, which have become so corrupt. No matter what uh, political system is in place or what government is in place, even if it's a good government as opposed to a bad government, no human government approximates the presence of God and, and what God is trying to, and what God is beginning to recreate and he's doing it through his church. That's why I've always noticed wherever, I, wherever we've traveled that we have more in common with a believer in Christ whom we've only just met in some other nation or some other culture or some other color than we are. We have more in common with them than our next door neighbor who looks like us and talks like us uh, but doesn't know Christ. We have more in common instantly. I mean, I've recognized that when I went to India the first time and what it was like to be a, minor, a racial minority <laughs> and made me appreciate, um, you know, the di dilemma of or the difficulty of being a racial minority in a white uh, culture like we live in. Um, and it, it was like the roles were reversed, and all of a sudden I was the only white person there. Uh, but I was in the midst of brothers and sisters in Christ, in the churches there, and all of a sudden, color didn't make any difference. Culture didn't make any difference. Everything was totally different. I mean, everything in the natural was totally different, but I felt right at home. The, this was my family. This was my family because we're in a new creation. And it's got nothing to do with politics and government. It's the kingdom of God. And this is what the work of the Holy Spirit is about. Now, as I try to land this plane this morning, uh, I'm going to do it. Um, thank you, Lord. Anyway, uh, we sometimes limit the place of the Holy Spirit in church to spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are great. Prophecy is great. You know, uh, casting out of demons comes in handy every so often. Uh, uh, speaking in tongues and interpretation, uh, word of knowledge, healing, all these things are wonderful, and they're definitely manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But it, if that's all that we see the Holy Spirit doing, then we'll tend to think that the Holy Spirit only operates through that one person who's prophesying or that one person who's got a gift of healing or whatever. But actually, that's only the tip of the iceberg. That it's just, it's great, but it's, it's only the tip of the iceberg. The Holy Spirit is moving in every single one of us to create a new kingdom people 
who are going to take, eventually take over this world when Jesus returns. The world will be recreated in some mysterious way that we don't understand. It will be a new heavens and a new earth. We're not going to be put, vanished off to some heavenly realm. God is going to recreate this universe in a perfect form and we will be sitting governing all of it with Christ. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's preparing you for that today. Every one of you is, if you're a Christian and you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have received the Holy Spirit. I don't care whether you never prophesy in all of your life or do anything else, you have received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is at work in you to be, Paul says, an ambassador. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who represents the king or the president, the government. We are those who represent the king of all kings. When you go to your school, your college, your neighborhood, your sports team, your gym, your place of employment, wherever you are, you are an ambassador of Almighty God. You are his representative in that place, and you have authority to rule. Your authority to rule isn't by lording it over other people and telling them what a bunch of jerks they are, even though they may be. Your authority is to lay down your life in love, and you represent the Lord Jesus Christ in that place. And the only reason you can do it is the power of the Holy Spirit within you. I don't know about you, but I couldn't, I couldn't even begin to do small favors for anybody unless the Holy Spirit gave me the power to do it. I'm way too self-centered. Nobody say amen, please. Uh, I need the Holy Spirit to do anything. The, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. We understand the gifts of the Spirit are miraculous manifestations. We can't create them ourselves. But neither can you create love, joy, peace, long-suffering, tenderness, and faithfulness, and so on. That's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. I can't create it. Every day I have to say, Holy Spirit, come and make me more Christ-like. Right. I need the Holy Spirit to do that. And so God has this plan he's caught us up in of recreating the garden of recreating paradise. And we're in the beginning stages of that. We're in what I call the great in-between. We're in between the triumph of Christ at the cross and his resurrection when the kingdom came in. We're in between that on the one hand and the fulfillment of that kingdom when he returns. So we live in the in-between. It's not perfect, but the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here because God has sent his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers the advance of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit empowers our evangelism. He empowers our holiness. He empowers uh, our ability to hold to the truth of the word of God in spite of everything the world says the Holy Spirit enables the performing of signs and wonders. He creates the character of Christ in us. He strengthens our hand against the enemy. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And you and I are caught up in that great work this morning. So I think that uh, this is a great time to think when the world is in crisis. It's a great time to think of the Holy Spirit and of what he's doing on the stage of history, which is so much more powerful and greater than the dictators and the wars and rumors of wars that come and go and will until Christ returns. And so let's invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. Let's, um, let's stop thinking that the Holy Spirit is just somebody standing up and giving a prophecy, and you're just onlookers. Invite the Holy Spirit into your life today. Welcome the Holy Spirit into your life. 
as the Holy Spirit to empower you to be his ambassador, to be the ambassador of Almighty God wherever you are placed at whatever stage of life you're in. And then expect him to use you to make an impact on the world around you. We, we don't want any more 400-year gaps where the Holy Spirit isn't present. We want his continuous presence. And so I invite you this morning. Uh, last week, we opened up the front, and uh, I, I want to do that again. If you want more of the Holy Spirit, if you're the kind of person that's thought the Holy Spirit only resides in Eddie as he's leading worship, or uh, Doug as he comes up and gives a prophetic word, or, or Don as he's preaching, if, if, if that's what you think this morning, you're wrong. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is in each and every one of you this morning if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you haven't, please come up to the front and ask for someone to lead you to Christ because don't go out of this place without knowing Jesus and being filled with His Spirit. So the worship team is going to lead us back into a, a little bit of worship again as we close the service. And... Uh, but as we do that, if you feel God is moving upon you, this is not a manipulative emotional appeal because we don't need that in church. We have the power of the Spirit. We don't need to manipulate emotionally uh, for any reason at all. But if you feel as part of a step of faith in your part, um, you know, and you can identify with, hey, uh, yeah, I, I think I felt more like an onlooker. And I, I haven't, this is really impacting me and I haven't ever really realized uh, that um, I am uh, just as much a representative of Christ and filled with the Spirit as anybody else. Or if you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, come up and have somebody pray for you this morning. Now, let me just say, Father, we, we ask that you'd send your Spirit to us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. You are welcome in this place. You are God on earth. You are the presence of Almighty God. The Father is sat in His throne and Christ at His right hand, but you're here on earth. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit. And we invite you this morning into our lives to do whatever it is we give you permission. You are Lord. This is your church, not our church. Holy Spirit, we bow before you. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, would you please touch our hearts? Would you please move in us? Would you speak to people all across this room, those who may be listening in online? Whatever it is that you have to say to us, we don't want to miss it. Catch us up in this great adventure of the kingdom of God and the restoration of the garden. And may it be to your glory.
Thank you that your spirit is here with us. Thank you that you're within us, God. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We can find rest in you. We can find strength in who you are in us, Lord. Savior, there he is. If you need a healer, there he is. So I want you to sing this song as Lord. If you need a Savior, so the Savior is who you are. If you need a healer, healer is who you are. Father is who you are to me. Amen. The Savior is who you are. Savior is who you are. Healer. Healer is who you are. Never stop working, even when I don't see it, you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop working, even when I don't see it, you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop working.
just thank you for your presence in this place. Let's continue to work in our lives, Lord, into the week. And this morning, let us just renew our strength, our faith in you. Let us go out to the world, Lord, and speak about you. And represent you, Lord, as ambassador of your Holy Spirit. As ambassador of your presence and your kingdom, Lord. Just right now, Lord, just pour out your spirit, pour out your presence of peace in your love upon our lives, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, we worship you, Lord. Amen. God bless you.